and welcome to the Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. I am David Zuckman, joined by my partner in crime, Phil Farber. You can follow us on Twitter at Phil's Facts. I am at Tuck on Sports, and we are here to talk Islanders and, well, NHL. Phil, we are uh, just a couple of days away from the opening day for the Islanders. I'm feeling? still trying to figure out what took so long for them to get the Islanders scheduled. Was there a a booking conflict with the venue? Why is it that the NHL starts on Tuesday? You're going to have the Islanders. I mean, everyone like loves talking about games in hand season. We're gonna we're gonna be able to start talking about games in hand pretty soon already because I think the Blackhawks have played like three games already. Boston will have played a couple times by then, so. I don't mind accumulating games at hand, but why? Why are they making us wait like this, Dave? Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, obviously, it's 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 not a big deal, and you know, you don't want to nitpick. And but I, I do think that it's kind of an unfortunate schedule because you get bunched up later on, and it's also it's now been a while since the Islanders have played a preseason game, and you wonder if there's a little bit of uh, you know a hangover heading into that Saturday's game. Yeah, an eight-day break, I think, right? Friday to Saturday. That's uh, Yeah, and it's a long break. And, you know, obviously they're practicing, and I know they were scrimmaging over the last uh, handful of days, but it's just not the same thing when you're scrimmaging against your own team uh, as, no. it, as it might be. Um, by the way, they uh, the practice lines are out, and I wanted to kind of go through that and a few other topics today. Uh, let's see. So we've got uh, – starting it off, we've got our uh, – we've got the Barzal line. We've got Horvat. And uh, not surprisingly, Simon Holmstrom on his wing. How are we feeling about that? The way I feel about it is let's give it a shot. Let's see what they can do. We spoke about in the last podcast about not being reactionary to lines early on in the season because those can fluctuate and change as things go along. Islander fans have perennially complained about the team doesn't give young players a chance. When they put them into the lineup, they often put them lower in the lineup. Well, here, you know, you, you can't scream about we're not giving our 21 and 22-year-old wingers a chance and then all of a sudden want to, you know, complain about the fact that Simon Holmstrom is being given a chance. No one wanted Anders Lee there, right? And Anders Lee has has now been put on the third line. I'm the only one like, I think who I, I wouldn't mind Anders Lee there. But I also don't mind, I don't mind Holmstrom either, though. <laughs> Right. I think a lot of a lot of fans didn't want to see Lee there anymore after he kind of petered out a bit down the stretch last season, wasn't good in the playoffs. He's going to be with Pajo and Fashing there on that third line. I say, let's see what Holmstrom could do. It sounds like they're still trying to rehab and work Wallstrom back up to 100% after the injury that he had with the torn ACL. Nothing is set in stone. Here's the Wallstrom weird thing. will get a chance somewhere at some point. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Listen, injuries happen. Um, I think there's no doubt that he will get a chance at some point. But here's the interesting thing, and I was getting a with, into a debate on Twitter about Ole Wallstrom. First of all, he looked terrible in the preseason. You know, as good as Isaiah George looked and how excited we are about Maggio and Dufour, the fact that he's, his skating is so much better and he looks like he's going to dominate the A this year and maybe really contend for a spot next year. Uh, there were a lot of things to be excited about in preseason. One of the things that certainly was on the negative side was Wallstrom just did not look himself. Um, and, and frankly, he has never fulfilled that, you know, 11th or 12th overall pick where he was picked. Um, obviously him and Dobson back to back picks back, uh, a handful of years ago, he's never fulfilled that potential. And now he was even a shell of that in this preseason. 
Um, the fact that it doesn't look like he is going to start the season in the uh, in the lineup doesn't surprise me at all. But here's the one thing that kind of shocks me is that the people that are saying, oh, give Wallstrom a chance. Why? Okay, so we want to give a former first-round pick a chance as opposed to the current young first-round pick in Simon Holmstrom. What's the difference? And for those people out there that are going, well, Wallstrom is a natural goal scorer. Yeah, when? I'd love to know when, at what point. There's, there is this, there's a misnomer that people think that Oliver Wallstrom is a goal scorer, okay? And I just want to point out throughout his career, he has never been a goal scorer. Really never. I mean, the only season he was ever a goal goal scorer when he played for the U.S. National Under-18 team, and he played with absolute stars, okay? He scored 48 goals that season. Besides that, he has never had a year, and I can go back to when he was 13 years old, okay, where he's had more than 26 goals in a season. I mean, they have his stats. Amazingly, the way they have his stats going back to, like, Shattuck St. Mary's. Okay, I mean, you're what going is this, that, hockey DB. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, exactly. But I mean, Shattuck St. Mary's obviously is, uh, you know, a great high school hockey team and, and a powerhouse there in, in Minnesota. But he's never been like this amazing goal scorer that people think he is. Right. We've seen glimmers of, of the shot. Conflate, yeah, I think a lot of people conflate shot velocity with goal scoring ability. And that was the same struggle that a lot of people had with Kiefer, Kiefer Bellows where and, and Kiefer, mind you, had a better resume, if you will, going into it than, than Wallstrom. Like Wallstrom's AHL numbers, I think he played 45 games and had 10 goals that season. Yeah, it wasn't 45 like was... games. I have in front of me 45 games. He had 10 goals and 12 assists. He was a minus 16. I don't care about the plus or minus. Uh, but yes, yeah, right. so he wasn't even a half Kiefer, a game. Kiefer he dominated the World Juniors. Right. Kiefer he... dominated the World Juniors. Kiefer caught fire at some point in the AHL and was scoring goals and buckets. Right. You look at a guy like William Dufour, <clears throat> who led the queue in scoring. And then last year as a 21-year-old came in and put up 20 goals, put up 48 points, I want to say, in 69 games, somewhere about that. That's the kind of production you would have expected to see from Wallstrom going into the AHL. And, you know, people like to make excuses and well, blame the coaches. And he didn't have a pleasant experience in Boston College. And then that's what happened over there. And Barry Trotz was mean to him. But the bottom line is he's been a 10% shooter. He has the the ability to put the puck in the net and he's got a very quick, I wouldn't even say it's a very quick release. He's got a very hard release, right? He doesn't do a great job of finding space for himself. I I'm not opposed to trying Wallstrom on the first line. If, if things don't work out with Holmstrom, I actually think that having Wallstrom play his off wing could maybe open up more one-time opportunities for him. And Horvat and Barzell could probably do a very good job of creating space for him. But yeah, I, I do find it confusing that Wallstrom had a really long run of games with Barzal last year. So he played 25 games with Barzal last year, and then I think 20 the year before, right? And he barely scored with him. <laughs> I, and that, that's why so. I just I banged my head against the wall. I'm like, listen, I'm not... And I came out and said it. The second I saw Kiefer Bellows play, and I think you and I talked about this with BD back in the day, I, and we were talking about it on... I go, this guy's not an NHL player. I could see right away. I was like, he is not an NHL player. Kiefer Bellows is just not that. Wallstrom, I have seen enough of him that I think he could be an NHL player. I think ideally he's probably a, a physical, he turns into a physical uh, Cal Clutterbuck type 
probably can't kill penalties. He's not quick enough, but maybe he can contribute on the power play too. Uh, maybe he scores 15, 18 goals a year and he plays third line. I mean, that's that's to me is like the ideal Oliver Wallstrom kind of like career path. Um, by the way, Simon Holmstrom, anybody's like, oh, well, why would you put him up there? Meanwhile, that guy scored 12 goals. Now, he did play more games in the AHL, but he scored 12 goals a couple of years ago as a 20-year-old, okay, um, but put up 31 assists that year. So he had 43 points in 68 games as a 20-year-old in the AHL. So you could even argue that, I mean, Holmstrom's definitely better defensively, and he skates better, but you could argue sure. that he's, he's even better offensively than, than Wallstrom. I wouldn't make that argument yet, but I think we've seen enough in in – you know, we've seen flashes from Holmstrom that would tell you that there is more offense to his game than the stat sheet shows. He's got a really good release, very good wrist shot. Um, you know, he has the ability to make some, you know, surprisingly good plays. You know, think about, uh, you know, him splitting two defenders against Carolina right. and, and sniping on Freddie Anderson. His first goal, uh, you know, where he uh, went on, on the inside of, I think it was Alex Prangelo who was defending him. You know, really nice goal over there. The game winner that he get, had against Winnipeg over Hellebuck's right shoulder. So he's he's shown flashes of what he could potentially be. He's got, you know, a good build to him. He's 6'2", 210-ish pounds, and uh, has worked on his skating over the past couple of years. I'm I'm intrigued to see it. Yeah, make I'm no mistake, by the way. It. Holmstrom also, if you look through his career, because I, I want to I try to play both, both sides of this. Holmstrom is also not an offensive dynamo. And frankly, no, the Barzal-Horvat-Holmstrom line, we don't know if it's going to be a good line or not. I think with Barzal and Horvat, they should be able to put almost anybody on the third on the th- as a third there, and they should be okay. Whether it was Fashing, whether it's um, you know Gautier, whether it's Holmstrom, maybe even Wallstrom, I think they should be able to put anybody on that th- on the wing there, and they should be okay. This is not going to be a Boston Bruins perfection line, though. No. And, and someone you, asked me, by like, the way, if you want what? a perfection line, we've got that in the second line. We'll talk about that in a Absolutely. minute. Absolutely. Right. And someone asked me, like, what's what's my expectation for Horvat and Barzal this season? And I don't want to put a number on it, but my expectation is that both of them collectively will make the power play better and get, you know, Barzal and Horvat and get that power play from 30th in the league to somewhere around 15, you know, middle of the road. I'm not expecting them to be top 10. That would be gravy. And then when they're on the ice at five on five, I want them to be a dominant top line and have a very positive goal share, like a 60 to 65% on ice goal share. I don't care what the numbers are. If they're putting up 85 points, but they're underwater, they're at 50-50 in terms of five on five on ice goal share, I, I don't care for that as much. Yeah. I'd much rather the, you know, the safe, responsible approach where we're going out and outscoring the other team as opposed to just saying, well, I need to see Barzell have 90 points and, and anything less is not going to justify the $9.15 million price tag. Yeah, the point, like we've seen points, Barzell get 85 points in a season where the Islanders were absolutely terrible. Right. Now, I listen, I mean, from a, I, I, you know me, I've talked about this for, for at least the last couple of years where I'm like, points are overrated, points are overrated. Um, it doesn't mean that much. I want to see, as you say, I want to see team. I want to see this line dominate. Um, yep. All that said, Barzal didn't score a goal for what twenty-one games last year. I think it was eighteen games. Eighteen yeah. games. Finished up with fourteen and fifty-five. Um, he he was basically a point per game player before the injury, and that was basically before Horvat joined them. So I, I am I am optimistic. I, I do think that Barzal and Horvat together especially 
with our second line intact, I, I believe they're going to be a handful. I think this suddenly, for the first time in a long time, I think the Islanders have two legit scoring lines and are going to be a handful to deal with when you look at that situation. And let's with that, let's turn to the second line. Um, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. It, it's it's the line that was basically was what top three, top four in the league for the last twenty games last year. I mean, they were the top in terms of goals per sixty. Number one, no yeah, one, that, no one had a better goals per sixty than that line. Yeah, that's uh, that's the Nelson Palmieri uh, Engvall uh, Engvall line. line, the perfection line. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a handful to deal with the speed. Um, you know the physicality, the the playmaking. Uh, they just work well together. I think a lot of people have been coming around on their initial hot takes on and opinions on the Engvall contract. I think it just was shocking. It's shocking to see a player who has spent most of his, albeit short career, as a bottom sixer in Toronto. All of a sudden, you're giving the guy seven years. And all they focused on was the seven-year part, and they didn't look at what the actual AAV was. Right. And again, don't put too much stock into preseason, but he looked really, really damn good in preseason. But I don't care about that as much as I do how he looked last year and how he looked in the playoffs and what we could potentially expect to see from him with these other two players and beyond when when Palmieri and, and Nelson ultimately move on because Engvall should outlast them. I just think he is that that contract could be an absolute gem. Yeah, I he think and, and listen, he fills so many holes. And he's, yeah, he's he's a, he's my potential. He's my breakout candidate this year. And that's I mean, the by thing. breakout. I don't. I'm not saying 80 points, but a, a, a strong 50 points. Most I was going to say. And, and by the way, if he gets, me. if he puts up, let's say he play, he kills penalties. He gets some uh, power play two time. Let's say he puts up, you know, 21 goals and 33 assists for 54 points. And, you know, what would his contract be next year then? Especially with the cap moving up. Keep in mind, they just mentioned this, that the cap next year, going into next year, will be just under $88 million. You're looking at a guy could, that could easily have gotten $4.5 million, $4.2 million. So, easily. Maybe even five. I, I really think, yeah. I mean, this is um, – and even by the end, by the, the crazy thing is that even if he's not great by year six or year seven, it's $3 million when the cap yeah. is probably ninety-four. More, it'll be more than by by then. But yeah, I, I he's a you know, guys who skate well, and aren't overly physical. That style of hockey usually holds up and ages well over time. And he'll be off the books after his age thirty three season. So I'm, uh, I'm not I'm not worried about that contract at all. I think the third line is where I was certainly there's a little bit more intrigue there because we weren't sure. quite sure who might slot in. But it looks like Fashing is going to be the guy for now. He earned it. Yeah, well, well, he earned it last year. He definitely earned it last year with his play. He fit. I mean, listen, in an ideal world, you have fashing on the fourth line with Sezikis, and I would have loved to see Julian Gauthier make the opening uh, night lineup. He'll get in there at some point, so I'm not too concerned about that. But fashing, he had he was great last year, and he backed it up in camp and preseason. And you know, there's absolutely no justification to take him out. I'm really intrigued to see this Pajot Lee fashing line because I think. I think there's a lot of people are looking at it going, well, Lee's not fast enough to play defense, but Lee is really smart. His hockey IQ is off the charts. Um, he actually is, from a from an analytical standpoint, he's actually very sound defensively. No, he's not a quick player. We don't want him out there three on three or four on four. He's certainly not going to kill penalties. Uh, but I think with, you know, Fashing's tenacity, Pajot's tenacity, Pajot's speed, that line could 
uh, they could be that shutdown third line and also contribute offense. They should be able to contribute offensively. You know, Lee, he's going to have to reinvent himself a bit. And you like to see a captain take a quote-unquote demotion with grace, and it looks like he's done that. He's going to have to be more defensively responsible, um, you know, and and play the Pajot style of game, you know, get in and get heavy on the forecheck. They're not going to be using him on the penalty kill, I don't think. No. Uh, I think the idea is that... I don't think he's on power play either. Power play one, that he's is. He's on the power play two. He's on the power play two. He, which of I, of I course, like he's going to be the second power play. We know that, but... Right. I like the idea of taking him off of power play one and putting uh, Paul Mary at the left side of the net. Um, not, you know, perfectly center net front, but I, I do like that change that they made there, and, and hopefully that does work out. But yeah, again, intrigued to see what that line does, what that line works like. I mean, in, in theory, on paper, and the game isn't played on paper, but on paper, you've got a third line where you've got a guy who's consistently touched at or near 30 goals uh, from, you know, the majority of his last six seasons. You've got a guy like Pajot who, you know, a down year from a goal-scoring standpoint last year, but he could pitch in with 15 to 18 goals. And Fashing was a revelation last year, and if he builds on that, he's also someone who's who's a threat to score as well. So yeah, I love you love in, Fashing, just a player who doesn't ever take a day in the NHL for granted. No, he's he's no. fought for everything he's gotten, and he doesn't take it for granted. Um, you mentioned this; it's worth reiterating. Uh, fans out there, for us, we're just fans. You know, opening day lineups mean very little. Uh, look at last year's opening day lineup. And Nikita Sashnikov, Kiefer Bellows, Josh Bailey. You know, I mean, just the list goes on and on. We'll get to Josh Bailey in a second. Yeah, I mean, and listen, and for all the people talking about running it back, same team. Um, <laughs> it blows yeah, my I think mind. Our, our, our good friend Joe at, at Isles Fix, you know, pointed out that the, this year's opening night roster has seven, seven different names. Seven different names than it did last year, right? So if you're talking about discount the goalies, right? You've got 21 skaters on a roster. That's essentially a 40% turnover. 33% to be, to be what is it, seven out of 18, seven, seven out of 21. Oh, seven out of 21. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Right. A full third, a full third of their skaters opening night this year are different than opening. That's, night last that year. is significant. Yeah, that is really significant. Anyway. Uh, so with that whole, you know, don't worry about the, the opening day, the fourth line, are we happy with the fourth line? Probably no. Um, no. Do we think they've got another year in them? No, I don't believe they do. I think we saw that last year. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I listen, sure. I didn't think Matt Martin had another year in him, and he proved us wrong last year. He was fantastic last year. Unfortunately, sure. Cal Clutterbuck looks cooked. Um, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe Cal proves us wrong. Who knows? But I think whether we liked it or not, I think Lane was always going to give the fourth line a chance. Because yes. they've over the years, they have earned at least, okay, let's see. Do you have it? Do you still have it? And the great thing and the exciting thing to me is we talked about Wallstrom. We've talked about Gautier. That's your 13 and 14 this year. Talk about an improvement now where, you know, if Cal does need a day off. We saw it last year also with Lane. Lane has no issue taking out a veteran. I mean, it took him all of like two games last year to bench Josh Bailey, right? So Five games, whatever it was. Whatever it was, right? Um, And that was, you know, that obviously – put him in a spot where he was not going to get a thousandth game at home. So we know that Lane is not going to be like, well, I, I can't bench Cal. He's a legacy here. He would have no issue. If, if Cal is not getting the job done, I, I fully expect to see Gautier in there before game 10 or game 12. Um, so we'll see. Let's, see. let's see if the fourth line can run it back one more year. Who knows? I mean, yep. obviously I have my doubts. 
I know and you mentioned 13 and 14 forward. Well, the, the Islanders 14th forward. I mean, they, they call him Mr. 14 <laughs> is, is no longer here. I mean, the guy, the, the almost immovable object, the, the man who defied the odds and probabilities for five straight seasons, avoiding the waiver wire, Ross, Roscoe Johnston. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. I, I was going to bring that up and it's, uh, you know, Ross, first of all, you're happy for the guy. You're happy for him because he's, you know, this is a guy who defied the odds, uh, got himself a four times $1.1 million contract, um, and he earned it. Uh, you know, all the reports are that he is absolutely beloved in the locker room. Apparently, uh, in his last practice, he went, you know, bar down and scored a goal and celebrated. The entire team cheered. This was right before he was waived. Uh, I, I'm happy for the guy. You know, I, I don't think he's a particularly good hockey player. Um Despite his size, I don't think he was a good four-checker or even a good hitter. Like, I don't even nope. think he was a good checker. Like, I think Pajot nope. was a better a better actual checker than Ross Johnson, despite the size. It was just amazing because you go, wow, how could this guy not hit? Um, and and at, by the way, at the end of his career, not career, at the end of his time with the Islanders, he wasn't even a good fighter anymore. No. <laughs> so no, I, mean, I can't I, remember the last time he won a fight against someone his size. Right. I'm really happy to see him go. Because the temptation that we would ever use him now is gone. I don't have to worry about it. It's like, okay, good. He's not here. I don't have to worry about it. He's never going to play for us. That said, I happen to really like the guy. I'm a fan. And I think it's a really good fit for the Ducks. You know, the Ducks, you know, they have young, talented, you know, players who are smaller. They thought they were getting pushed around. This is a team that's not going to win anyway. Like I said earlier, Ross is a good locker room guy. He's a good guy in practice. Um, I, I think it's a good fit for the Ducks. Um, and again, he costs nothing. You know, it's one point one million dollars. They've got Fully oodles and oodles of money under the cap, so it means nothing to them from a money standpoint. Correct. You have anything to add on the Ross? Uh... No, not really. I think that they wanted to time it in a way where he was most likely to get claimed. Right. I think there's a a business case to not wanting a guy who's making that much actual cash on your AHL team for the next three seasons. If there's another NHL team out there that could find use and utility for a player like this god bless him god bless him god bless the ducks and bon voyage yeah i mean listen coming out of covid a lot of owners lost a lot of money and you know whether we like it or not the new york islanders this is not you know this is they're not the rangers you know they're, they don't have that kind of market um and frankly I, I think it's a good move because now when lou does want to acquire somebody in January or February, it's just a, it's a little easier sell in the sense that, hey, we saved you $1.1 million there. Yeah. Um, but, listen, they, they've got a mortgage to pay on that building. <laughs> right. Hey, nothing goes there. Uh, let's talk about another uh, legacy player for the uh, the New York Islanders, Josh Bailey. Uh, he got the PTO in Ottawa. Uh, looked like for a second, I mean, he wore the A for a little couple times in preseason games. Was getting about a point a game in their preseason games as well. I think he had a goal and five assists in like six games. Um, but he was ultimately not offered a contract in Ottawa. And uh, you wonder, you know, is this the end for Josh Bailey? And do we put a bow on it and, and look back at his career just really quick? I, I mean, I want to see if, again, I, I haven't been following it intently. We obviously know that Josh was, he, he was finished, to be quite frank. He looked, he looked awful for the past two seasons. Ottawa, they have a very uh, trying situation right now with their salary cap where they, they have the $62,000 in cap space. 
They can't even get Shane Pinto signed right now. By so the way, they, Islander like, fans, I know there was a report and all this. We're not getting Shane Pinto. We're not getting Shane Pinto. Okay, no, just let I it go. We're not getting him. I think ultimately they'll find a way to, to move Matthew Joseph and, and create space. But right now they've got 21 men on their roster. They've got no cap space to sign you know, one of their good young players in Pinto. And which, by the way, I mean, listen, is that it's inexcusable. Like, inexcusable. This was, it's I, I don't understand. Like Dorian, it's like they saw they went out and they they acquired some players. They signed Tarasenko. Did they just always assume that Shane Pinto was just going to play ball and go? Yeah, fine. You know what? Uh, uh, I'll just take whatever you're going to offer me because I'm a young and I have no leverage whatsoever. Did they just assume that that was going to happen at the end? The Tarasenko thing is the most mind boggling. Like, right. Sacrificing having Pinto out now to get Tarasenko for $5 million, crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Like, I would have, right? I and, mean, my thought would have been like, okay, you have to allocate at least, maybe not $2.5 million, but you have to allocate at least like $2.12 for Pinto. He's off coming off listen, 20 goals. And then you go look at it and roles, go, right, and then you go, okay, what do I have left? Goals, right, a 20-year-old who score, scores 20 goals is someone you want to make sure, or 21 year old he was, so you want to make sure you get you get that menu item checked off pretty quickly. That's a player who's developing also a kid who plays center. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. But I mean, I, and I pointed out last night. I said, listen, for all the, um, you know, the flack that Lou's gotten over the years about cap management and, you know, getting players signed, there were four teams in the NHL last night who went with seventeen skaters because they simply do not have the cap space to ice a full team right now between injuries and between other things that have come up. Um, and they're looking to get, uh, you know, they went with 17 so they could get the emergency roster exemption, get a non-cap player on the team, et cetera. But between that, between all the teams, including New York Rangers, who who are, you know, physically unable to carry 23 players due to cap constraints. I mean, the fact that the Islanders have a full 23 man uh, with the ability to start accruing cap space now is, is I wouldn't call it savvy, but it's it's competency when it comes to uh, cap management and, and managing that aspect of the business. Well, I'm trying to game. think how many teams are there's one, two, three, four, nine teams out of 32 are in LTIR right now. That means nine teams cannot accrue cap space. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. And I mean, you're talking about teams that are, you know, contenders, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Vegas. Uh, how many of those teams have, have 23 men on the roster? Uh, four, five. Five. Yeah. Five I mean, the Toronto, Ma- the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs are an LTIR, and they have twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for some teams early on in the season, right? And if you, if you want to make injury call ups from that situation, you have to put a player on LTIR at that point, right? Even if it's a you know a small sprained whatever that usually takes about you know one to two weeks to heal, you have to at the very least consider putting that person in LTIR in order to open up the cap room for you to make an injury call up. And that's going to force a lot of decisions that could ultimately hurt teams down the line. That's pretty amazing. Um, interestingly enough, the Islanders have one of the, uh, the, the fewest contracts out. You know, they only have 43 or 50. Only 43. Yeah. You know, I pointed out a while ago, I said they only have 44 contracts out. I wonder if, if Lou is looking at maybe adding a defenseman at some point, because they usually get to like the 46 to 48 range. Right. They utilize those. But after Ross got picked up, now it's down to 43. Your that's, cap, that's by the way, for anybody who doesn't know, you're capped at 50. You know, so if you're at 50, if, if you want to hire somebody, you've got to be, you know, one in, one out type situation. Uh, nobody in the NHL, by the way, is at 50 right now. A couple teams at 49, but 43 is is low, especially low. for Lou. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's very low. And again, you know, teams that are usually in that type of situation are able to 
If you're on the outside looking in, facilitate trades, take contracts from other teams in order to open up slots for other teams if they're requiring two or three players at the deadline. We hope the Islanders are not in a position where they would need to be or should be doing that. But it's just a, an added element of flexibility where you don't need to worry at all about players having to go out for the purposes of opening up contract slots. Uh, I don't know if you got to uh, watch any NHL games. Uh, a little my t- bit. My 10-year-old is... Uh, his second favorite player in the league now is already Connor Bedard. There we go. After Barzal, uh, he already he's got a Barzal jersey, and he now wants a Connor Bedard jersey. Um, he's already said he's got. Can I, Dad? Do you mind if I root for the Blackhawks too? I go. No, that's cool. I go. We're, I'm fine with that, bud. Bedard he's already is already a Bedard he's fan. Be good. He's he's, he, he's already good. Did you, see, that, did you, did you see his goal second? versus uh, Boston? I did. I mean, I did. behind the back pass to to Donato, uh, right back to him, uh, quick shot. Picks up his own rebound, and then it's in the net wraparound yep. so quick. I mean, wraparound goals in youth hockey are very common because the goalies are slow. Wraparound goals in the NHL are not because those goalies can move. And uh, yeah. he is just lightning quick. And the way he moves, um, he had a shot versus – in the opening night um, versus Pittsburgh, he had a little pull-in snapper that almost snuck in. Uh, low, far side. This kid's a player. Two points in two games. I don't really care about that. But uh, by the way, it does segue into my favorite bets of the year, which is uh, I do have money on uh, I do have money on Connor Bedard to win the Calder at minus okay. one twenty five, which I think Good he's bet. a lock to win it unless he gets injured. And uh, I have money on him at over sixty six and a half points for the season. I like that bet too. So. We've got we've got. Let's talk about the Penguins though, real quick. Yeah, um, let's, let's talk about that. You know, Eric picking, Carlson picking up where they is he already off, a nightmare. Right? Eric Carlson. I mean, it, it's too it's too early for like instant hot takes and reactions, right? We're not going to dump all over Edmonton and say that their season's over, and we're not going to all of a sudden crown the Vancouver Canucks as Stanley Cup. I'm far right? more worried about Pittsburgh than I am about Edmonton. Ed, Edmonton sure. is still missing Ekholm. Edmonton played with 17 players. Um, I think Vancouver, coming off last year's bad start, was so intent on like, hey, they had a new coach in Rick Tockett. They were like, hey, we have to get off to a good start. So I'm far less worried about Edmonton. Edmonton is going to be there. I'm not worried about it at all. The Pittsburgh Penguins, by the way, though, I, I think that is some. I, I think that's worrisome. Um, Eric Carlson, by the way, I know he won the Norris Trophy. I know he had 100 points last year. When was the last time he was a good? When was the last time he played good defense? Very like probably never, but. To me, again, and I was arguing with a lot of people over the summer about this. He didn't; they didn't address any deficiency that they had last year, right? So they swapped Dumoulin with Graves. Is that an upgrade? Probably not. They swapped Zucker, who was actually really good for them last year with Riley Smith, a lateral move at best. They didn't shore up their depth scoring at all. They didn't get any really solid defensive defensemen, and then they brought in Eric Carlson, who to me in large part is a redundancy of what Chris Letang already brings them, especially yeah. on that power play one. And you, he needs to produce at such an astronomically high level for it to make sense, both from a contract standpoint and to potentially even get them into the playoffs this year, because That's it the- wasn't an issue of offense. It was just their defense was poor. Their goaltending was really poor. And and as we saw the other night, Jari has a, you know, this, this magical ability to let in horrendous goals at horrendous times. Yeah. And their depth scoring is just non-existent, right? It's going to be the stat. The box score is very often going to read this season like it did the other night. 
I feel like the Pittsburgh. By the way, I feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins and a loss. I feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins almost took a page out of the New York Rangers playbook, where it was like, okay, where are we strong? Yeah, let's get more of that. Right. Um, it, the funny thing is, if I was Lou Lamorello, I think you could make the argument going into this year that. You know what? Yeah, Eric Carlson is a defensive liability, but he's so good on the power play. And our power play sucked so bad last year. Could he get our power play from 30th to 10th? And if he could do that, is it worth it? And we could just pair him up, and we can we can kind of protect him in five on five a little bit, um, and and we could just he could be our power play specialist. You could make the argument, right? I mean, Carolina basically is doing that with Tony D'Angelo, where they're like, mm-hmm. he is good enough on the power play. We'll hide him in five on five. So it, I, I think from a general manager standpoint, I think sometimes you can look at a situation and go, okay, where are we deficient? Okay, does this guy fill that role? And can we hide him in the things that he's not very good in? The thing that made no sense, and this is your point, and I think it's, it's well said, was I don't think Pittsburgh's power play was the issue, right? I, I, I don't know why you look at it and go, well, they had Crystal Tang there. Why do we need – so now we're suddenly – now we have two good power play quarterbacks – and just another slow liability on defense. Yeah, he. I mean, him getting back on defense—it's just hilarious to watch. He's just not <laughs> again. Bad. It's an empty. It's an empty net goal, so not to read too much into it. But he just, he just looked disinterested at that point in the game, and you know maybe it's the age piece. But he, again, he was never really good defensively, and it's early. And this this isn't a hot take for me because I've been on this for the entire summer. I just. I just don't have them making the playoffs this year. I don't think they did anything to really get better. Well, and and that's, the, that's the crazy that thing, right? Think, right. I mean, like, oh, they're old and slow. Like, I don't think they're old and slow. Like, the old guys actually aren't the problem. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Latang, those are not the problem. The problem is is literally everything else. Right. Well, it, it's funny. Uh, the year that the Islanders beat them in the playoffs, um, basically because Sorokin stood on his head, you yeah. know? And Jari just gave Josh Bailey a puck right in the front of the net. That year, Pittsburgh was a problem. Pittsburgh was deep. Their third and fourth line, but their third and fourth line were just absolutely stout. Um, And now they don't have have that depth anymore on the bottom six. Their defense is an issue. Their goaltending is still inconsistent at best. Um, I I think, yeah, I'm I'm with you in that sense. I mean, listen, um, would it... You know, would it have shocked me? I actually, I did throw a sprinkle on Mike Sullivan to win Coach of the Year because I thought the price was really good. And I just, and my thought was, well, you know, maybe maybe they've got one more last hurrah on them. And if they do, and Mike Sullivan takes them from not making the playoffs to, uh, you know, to to uh, third, in the, the, third in, the, in the East, does he win Coach of the Year? And I thought it was a decent bet. But, you know, watching game one, especially the fact that Chicago was the team that kept them out of the playoffs last year. And to come back and lose against Chicago is, uh, I've got to be pretty disheartening if you're a Pittsburgh fan. So, yeah. Any other takes from uh, early games? Uh, Austin Matthews, the hat trick, he might score. Where's he going to score 70 this year? Listen, he's fully healthy now. I think he's he's come back to remind everyone that he's still the second best player in hockey. And probably uh, the best pure goal scorer. He's definitely the best pure goal scorer. Good for Brock Besser getting four goals uh, on wow. the night. Wow. He that. needed that. Good for him. Vancouver should trade him now. Vancouver should trade him now. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, other storylines around the league. Connor Hellbuck having a 
you know, giving up five goals right after signing his contract extension. What did you think about Winnipeg uh, re-signing Shifley and 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 Hellebuck to matching uh, matching deals? By the way, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I still don't love the Sorokin deal, but I like it better. Listen, I have no strong opinion on it from from a hockey standpoint. Like, the, are these going to be good deals? No. Did they have to do it? Yes. You know, they they sent out a whole video last year begging hands and knees to to their uh to the community in Winnipeg to support the team so that they don't have to relocate the team. So the concerns around that are real in a small market like Winnipeg where you really need to rely on the community to support and and uplift them. That yeah, I think um, by the way, I think people miss that for the side. What Chicago was able to do going into last year, which was essentially obviously they just completely tanked for Bedard. Winnipeg for two years in a row, yeah. Yeah, Winnipeg is in a market and in a precarious spot where I don't they can't do that. They, and and the owner and the and the management is cognizant of the fact that they can't just sell all their parts because they'll lose their team. Yep. And that's and it's unfortunate, but that's just business. Well, the owner won't lose the team. The community will lose the that's team. That's what I mean, right, exactly. The community yeah. will lose the team if if they tank and and you know there are other places that can sale. do they it. Need easier. The they need butts and seats. But I I'm I just, you know, to me it just further highlights how disconnected NHL insiders are from reality because all summer long, all you were hearing about is they're actively shopping Shifley. They're actively shopping Hellebuck. These are trades that are going to be made. You know, it's holding up the trade market and then boom, these guys were signed. So it makes you question as to whether or not they actually ever were being marketed or if they were just negotiating with them down until, you know, puck drop and they finally got it done. So we never actually know what the real story is. And and that's why it's always, um, you know, a fool's errand to, waste oxygen and energy over well why didn't we sign johnny goodrow this this random insider said that we had the inside track and why didn't we get mark stone it was reported like it means nothing it it genuinely means absolutely nothing because these people are very often guessing or getting just wrong information and to highlight dave's point from earlier right it's it's lazy to make a pinto to islanders connection just because he's from long island there are a number of players in the nhl from long and, island and from by the, surrounding but, area. by the way i do get the listen, if you are a uh, a creator, if you're a content creator, whether it's a writer or a podcast like as we do, telling stories, you you need that. You need the clicks. Yes. Um, and you know, unless you're you know, Elliot Friedman doesn't need to make up stories because he's already achieved that. But I understand that. I don't hate on it. But yeah, Shane Pinto's not coming here. <laughs> it's just not happening. Um, nope. I'll take the defenseman up in Boston. If, uh, if, we're, if we're just going to randomly take some Long Islanders back, can we get him instead? I mean, he was a Ranger fan, but I would love that. <laughs> I would love McAvoy <laughs> over here. Right, that would be uh, that would be solid. Um, anyway, we, we we covered most of the season before going into it. I did say I got one last bet in. Um, I, I already told everybody that one of my favorite bets of the year, um, and you might say that I'm biased, was the over 92 and a half points for the Islanders this year. I just think it's a, I really see them as a 97 to 104 point season. Um, but I just got money on this one, and I like it even better, was I bet a Ranger fan this. So the Rangers, there's a, a website out there, the Rangers are at 103.5 points, but you got to pay a little bit of juice. The Islanders are at 92 and a half. With the juice and everything, I got the Islanders versus the Rangers Point total for the season, but the Islanders plus eleven and a half points. What's the uh, what are the odds on that? Even. Oh wow! Even money, Islanders plus eleven and a half points. I love that bet. Right? I mean, 
Yeah. I don't see why not. I, uh, I Well, I mean, I was talking to a Ranger fan about it, and, and you mentioned this in, on Twitter. And by the way, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, it's uh, at Phil's Facts. I'm at Tuck on Sports. Uh, we're happy to debate and argue with you and tell you why you're wrong on Twitter any day of the week. <laughs> um, but uh, you mentioned this, and I do think it's a problem for the Rangers. When quick plays, it's a loss. And the East is competitive. You know, you've got some teams coming up. Uh, while we don't think Pittsburgh's going to do great this year, they're still going to be in the mix. They're not going sure. away. They're going sure. to contend for a playoff spot. I don't think they're the not Rangers... going to be last year's Washington. Right. I don't think the Rangers are so good that they're going to run away with it. And I'm just wondering, how many games is Soroka, is Shesterkin going to have to play? Well, I think I think Quick's going to start the season. I don't think he's going to finish it though. I think they want to give Garand a little more time. But I would expect the Rangers to be making a goalie switch at their second goaltender um, at some point during the season. They're going to have yeah, to, I mean, right? I mean, unless Igor, they, unless Igor they literally want to play 60 games. That's what I'm saying. Unless yeah. they want Igor to play 65, 68 games. You know, because, I mean, to. if Quick plays 20 games, the Rangers are going to Yeah, that could be like 5, 11, and 4. <laughs> really, you know, that, right. that wouldn't surprise me. He's terrible. He's, he's, he's god-awful. Yeah, he, he, he is absolutely cooked. Um, anyway, unless you have something else to add, that's going to do it for us. Uh, again, uh, this is The Red Line, and uh, we do appreciate you guys joining us here. Uh, the Red Line presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com, and we certainly do appreciate your support. We're going to be doing this weekly. If you have any questions for Phil or myself, tweet us. Use the hashtag TheRedLine, and we'll, uh, we'll try to address your questions on the next podcast. Uh, for now, bye-bye. Thank you.